everybody, and welcome back to Watch Party Gaming. This is Siobhan, your host, and I am joined today by my panel. Say hello, panel. Hello, hello, hello panel. panel. It never gets old, does it? It never oh. gets old. <laughs> um, so today we are joined by Madeline. Hello. And Axel. Hello. Ruark. Hey, everybody. And back after a long break, we have DW. Nanu, nanu. Who's on strike? Shazbot. <laughs> it's a family show. Watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I think I stepped on you saying that uh, DW is on strike. DW is yes. on strike. Tell us about the strikes. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm my own picket line. No, I'm part, yes, I'm part of the SAG after a strike. So yeah. this doesn't count as promotion because you're not on this show, right? Um, well, it get, does get difficult in the fact of uh, you're not supposed to be involved in anything that uh, promotes a show that is from a struck company. However, this is also contracts I had entered before the strike. So there are many, It's gonna, you're going to see a dwindling of that kind of activity in that people are not forming new contracts, but they're still uh, adhering to old ones. So if people were doing something that in its own way promoted a show, they'll finish out that contract before they would then go to the strike. Um, for that particular okay. product. So this one I entered into long before there was even talk of a strike, and uh, I will I will be completing my um, contract. Uh, I may I we're gonna have to see what happens with the strike in the next few months as to whether or not I can continue after that. Oh, okay, interesting. But I will always want to be here. It will purely be out of a hope that the AMPTP uh, figures out that they need to. Like, I keep hearing things about compromise, and it's like, sure, let's compromise. Can you at least come some of the way towards? What we're talking about. Can we, get, can we actually get paid for the work we do instead of just like selling our image? Yeah, oh, shit no, no, like no. that. We don't compromise. You compromise. That's how compromise yeah. works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of the feeling when you see a billionaire sitting at a billionaire retreat who got there on a private plane telling us that we're being unrealistic. My, my favorite, um, uh, I think, metaphor, whatever, uh, is from a, a Swamp Thing comic way back with um, the demon Etrigan and Jason Blood, who Etrigan occupies his body. Um, and Jason Blood explains, yeah, so I entered into a deal with Etrigan that we would become more like each other. So I became more like Etrigan, and Etrigan became more like Etrigan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that often feels like the, the usage of compromise. By yeah. So we are here to review season uh, two, episode two. Um, episode is called The Clue featuring the Minnesota a Companion to Owls. And I'm not going to lie, that title completely stumped me. I didn't know what the Minnesota was, and I was like digging through all the extra material. So Ruik and I were talking about this before we started um, recording because I was completely stumped, and they explained that a minisode is an episode that is completely contained within the original episode. So I looked up a companion to owls and it is a quote from Job. I had no idea until five minutes before we started recording. So <laughs> now that that bit's been explained. <laughs> I think the, the joke here is that the clue is the title of the episode, but it really just bookended the episode. It was like five minutes at the beginning and five minutes at the end. And then the minisode was like the bulk of the episode itself. Yeah, it was a joke that went right over my head. 
Well, it is in that vein, even when it comes up the second time, it's almost like Azaraphale has forgotten about the clue until the very end. <laughs> oh, right. Like, about oh, yeah, clue. there's that thing I wanted to talk to you about. The Minnesota went on so long that Crowley got bored and wandered off. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So we were talking last week about representation of neurodiversity, and I think Azaraphale has ADHD. I think both of them do, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> I feel like the the moments where Azaraphale goes off, like when when you have the episode, the minisodes happening within, I feel like those are literally just phases out for a moment, and life goes on behind him, and Crowley like, oh, he's in another one and leaves. <laughs> so the episode opens in twenty five hundred BC in the land of Uz. See, I got that joke. Crowley begins with, you know, this soliloquy about how, you know, God has abandoned you to demons. You are to be destroyed by the God who claims to love you. And it turns out he's talking to a goat. Crowley is very attached to these goats. (laughs) He seems to care a lot about animals. And and, I mean, last episode it was ducks. Yeah, yeah. We've got a theme animal per episode. We have we have established that Crowley was responsible for light, um, like that was one of his projects, right? Mm-hmm. So what if he had a hand in a lot of the making of the animals, and that's part of why he doesn't care about the humans as much, but the animals were part of his like, process. Yeah, <laughs> I think yeah. he just. I Could think that's be. a lot of work for one angel, given that there's supposed to be twenty million of them. Yeah, I'm just saying a hand in. Yeah, fair enough. I think maybe he's just been on Earth all this time and he's already learned that humans are kind of jerks, but animals are pretty innocent. And, and I mean, given the era of the setting, he's seen a lot of goats get sacrificed. And, and I don't know if you've spent a lot of time around goats, but goats are actually really cool. They're super affectionate. Mm. They're nice. They're made for trouble, which I feel that Crowley would identify with. Also, goats have a association with demons and devils. So that was exactly what I was going to say. Is how often are they the bottom half of things? Yeah, separating the sheep from the goats, <laughs> or the top half of things, yeah, or the top half of things. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> so he summons a big demonic hellfire ball to kill the goats, and then Azurfel appears, very theatrical, <laughs> surrounded by glittery tinsel, and <laughs> starts into his speech. I love the fact that as soon as he recognizes Crowley, he interrupts his speech to say, oh, hey, how's it going? Oh, sorry, I got to get back to it. And then gets right back in where he started. Including retaking the stage. Yes, he has to get up on the rock. (laughs) And asking for his line. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which Crowley so politely provides. (laughs) Well, you know, they know each other at this point. They have a working relationship. This is the ultimate Crowley looking like a... Muppet or David Tennant looking like a Muppet. Like literally that he could just go join Dr. Teeth's band. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. That is what happens to curly hair when you brush it. We is Am and are they who is known as Crowley the Demon. <laughs> Wonderful to be in your presence. Positively it is. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're absolutely correct on that. Like, I was looking at him thinking that I was watching the Muppets Mayhem show that just aired. <laughs> it, it was like he would fit into Dr. Teeth in the Electric Mayhem, like, no problem. 
I, I was trying to figure out how he was able to pull off that beard, and you've explained it for me. Being Muppets. a Muppet. It's, it makes him look like a Muppet, yeah. and Muppets are cool. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. I don't know if cool is my assessment of that particular <laughs> costuming <laughs> choice, but... <laughs> your, your, your kink is okay. Rurik, you could cosplay that really well. And not oh, just yeah. because of the red hair thing. You've got the glasses. And I'm a Muppet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I could I could pull that off. Yeah. 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 So we have the big reveal that this is actually part of God's plan. Uh Curly shows off his permit. Which clearly has all the details in it. Lots of not so small print. Paragraph six, line five. Subparagraph. Did it go all the way around the world? You actually see in the background that it goes around the valley. But that is an idea that it like it also wrapped the world in doing it. I, um, no, I, the thing that I find funny about this is, you know, having been raised Catholic and stuff like that, there were definitely points where you're like, this doesn't. So to see like the office work behind it, the contracts and negotiations that are made with having done time in office work, like that was really interesting to me. Oh, but I have a permit. But not to, uh, not to, to, to rally, just to, just to strike. <laughs> <laughs> This again reminds me a lot of the Douglas Adams kind of humor. Yes. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So Zerfo goes back to heaven to confirm, and we see Muriel again in her role as kind of an office minion. Um, and Zerofel finds out that all the doom and destruction includes... Uh, Job's children. This is all over a bet with Satan. And uh, he goes to Gabriel and Michael to try and say, maybe we should reconsider this and finds out that it is, is, is in fact the plan to let the demons kill Job's children. He's, he's oh, but he'll get them all back. suitably appalled. No, he won't get them twice back. He gets well, new he'll, ones. He'll get some back. <laughs> he'll get children back. He'll get twice as many back. They'll just be different ones. But, you know, I mean... Chickens, goats, children, whatever. No, take a kid, leave a kid. I, yeah. Is there a jar next to the register of take yeah, a yeah. kid, leave a kid? Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I actually hadn't even thought about, when I first read that story, um, I hadn't thought about the idea that, like, I don't think I ever applied the getting children back double to the age that they were and whether or not they want to enter into not only raising more children, but raising twice as many children as they had before, like, that is and and now having a kid of my own yeah that's a commitment that is a that is not a blessing <laughs> problem from my point of view well the old testament had a lot of people who were extremely old and still having children you know i don't think that the framers of the old testament had a good understanding of age <laughs> <laughs> well so the thing is though these are the, like Job is a patriarch, right? That means that he doesn't actually have to do any of the work of parenting, right? His wife has to do, like, has to has to give birth to them and maybe concubines. I'm not entirely sure, um, but they will have servants who do all the actual work. So children and children are a resource. As soon as they're you know old enough to work in a field, they can go out and work in a field. It's so a very like different like relationship. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, children were, yeah. were wealth if you lived in a society where you more more free workers was a benefit. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. Which is still kind of how it works for a lot of farm, like small family farms today, right? Like, they're, they're, I mean, most child labor laws have exemptions for farmers yeah. so that they can put their kids to work in the fields as soon as they're able to work. But we're also getting rid of those child labor laws, around, at least in the U.S., so, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, because children should be able to, to, to work in McDonald's as well, well, right? Children should be in factories as soon as they can walk to the factory, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Get them down the pit. Yeah, yeah. They've, got, they've got little fingers. Yeah. Yeah, they're so much smaller. They fit down in those mine shafts a lot better. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, and they can get under the machine, and they can get under the the yeah, factory yeah, machineries. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, <laughs> dystopian uh, <laughs> dystopian labor laws aside. Um, so then we go back to the bookshop as as Zurafel is obviously remembering all this. Gabriel is reorganizing the bookshelves in alphabetical order. By <laughs> <laughs> the first sentence. Uh. And I love the fact that Aziraphale starts to reason with him and then goes, you know what? Good job. Knock yourself out. <laughs> well, it'll keep him busy. Yes. It's not like Aziraphale is actually selling any books anyway. So there was the very first shot in the very first um, episode where the camera zooms in on the mail slot and Axel's like, I want to know what that sign is. And I'm like, those are the opening hours. Like, it's like a full page. This is all I might be open on Tuesday between one and two. But, you know, maybe not if I'm having a long lunch and it just goes on and on for a full page. We talked about yesterday that Israel doesn't really understand how how the economy works clearly. Yeah. And we never see anybody buying a book in his bookshop. There's never anybody in his bookshop. There were in season when, one. When the angels came in to purchase pornography, yeah. Zerfeld was feeling yes. extroverted that day and opened the, unlocked the door. So this is the scene where Gabriel starts singing the Buddy Holly song. And I said this before, Zerfeld's clever. He figures out right away, like, where the hell would he have learned that? It's clearly an untapped memory. Next scene, Crowley is sleeping in his car. He is definitely living in his car. I want to know why he's not sleeping at the bookshop. He offered Aziraphale a place to stay when the bookshop burned down. I'm kind of surprised Aziraphale would not return the favor, given that he's lost access to his apartment. I get the vibe that Aziraphale... Uh, offered, and Crowley doesn't want to be indebted to anybody. Oh, maybe. Crowley can offer to people, and then it, it's the temptation, it's the debt, it's the, you know, whether or not he holds them to it, that's part of his gig. But he doesn't want to necessarily accept from anybody else to possibly be beholden to them. That's a, that's a good theory. I like that. So Shax wakes him up to tell him that an enormous miracle happened in the bookshop. And then she threatens him. The whole interaction with Shax, every time I see her, validates Madeline's autism theory. Like she says, are you making fun of me? And he says, would you know if I was? <laughs> and the, I'm pretty sure the answer is no. <laughs> and then after she threatens him, she says, you do understand I'm threatening you? And he just like shrugs it off like she doesn't know how to read him it, at all it was not the reaction that she expected to get from a threat 
and he hides his feelings. Like, not really, but, you know, he, he doesn't say what he's feeling, so she can't read well, she's it. She's also not very good at threatening. She, she's not very threatening. And Crowley has, Crowley has been threatened by the best. And stood up to those threats. Yes. <laughs> so, really, what she got? At, what can she throw I at guess him? After you've seen Satan himself coming out of the ground, big and bald, big and red, and half naked, you're probably not really going to be phased by much. So, the next scene is Erfeld goes to Maggie's shop to try and identify the song, and we get into this little subplot about how Maggie thinks she's in love with Nina. And she starts crying, and Zerfell's like, "Oh, you're crying? No, I'm not. I do you actually think you're not? Because you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it kind of feels like there's a a little bit of a subplot of people wondering if other people really understand them, mm. or really understand what they're feeling, or or something to that extent. Because that that's you know the second time in as many scenes as that somebody has questioned. Do you really know what you're talking about or doing here because i don't think you understand what you're doing well also that tracks with the xerophil with the adhd thing or the uh, neurodiversity thing mm -hmm. where he's pretty on you know upfront about things when somebody tells him that they're not doing what he thinks they're doing he's like can we have a gut check <laughs> <laughs> I often find that scenes where Azurfeld and Crowley are interacting with humans, they are just so weird. Like, they, they're they very awkward, and Azurfeld especially doesn't necessarily understand how time changes things. So, Which is also an ADHD. Yeah, so like the, calling a bicycle a velocipede, although... Yeah. There is a theory that he did that just to piss off Crowley, which I can totally see. <laughs> <laughs> Quickly, I need this package to get on the 1115 autogyro to a Prussian consulate in Siam. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking of Mr. Yes. Burns. So. <laughs> he feels the angels show up at the bookshop. Other angels don't seem to necessarily detect the presence of angels and demons. You see in the Job scene where... Um, Crowley shows up in front of the angels. They don't twig that he's a demon. He says he's a human and they just buy it. Well, he's got the sunglasses. <laughs> yes, that's that's all you need. Yeah. I mean, Clark can't just prove this. That's true. That's true. A pair of glasses changes everything. Uh, <laughs> I also wondered if it wasn't something he heard because the music changed and I didn't know if that was like something. You hear that, trumpets. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know if he's he's tuned into hearing for it. He might have an alarm system. Uh -huh. That's where I was going to go. Yeah, I think he's got an alarm set up at the bookshop to warn him if anybody shows up, which seems like a fairly straightforward security feature if you're worried about your old boss showing up. And Gabriel didn't set it off. If he's got an alarm for angels, when Gabriel showed up the first time... Oh. Mm. But, uh, yeah, and I, that's the thing is I get the vibe that he has... Especially the comment, I know it's later in the show, but the comment of my head can't handle that those thoughts now. I think he is currently human. So the thing is, though, I guess I'm kind of wondering if Gabriel was responsible for the enormous miracle. I was too. Almost definitely. 
because they they like they say that you know like it's it's a huge miracle and like they're they're very dubious about um, Aziraphale being able to even make a miracle that big. Twenty five Lazari on the scale, <laughs> and and it would also kind of make sense that that Gabriel would just do something. Because he doesn't know, really understand what he's doing, who he is, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So they're casting a miracle, and he kind of buffed it without thinking he's about holding it. Their hands. Um, and yes. he was holding yeah, their right. hands. And I, I think that adds to the whole yeah. idea that he is in a human body, but like still has access to some of the angel memories, powers, stuff like that. But I think he's in a human body and doesn't know how to. So like he's like a miraculous capacitor, and when they touched his hands, they mm. were. Yeah, Would you say it, it he's a Tarangrial? No. I don't think a person can be a Tarangrial, but that's a completely different sub subject for a completely different podcast. <laughs> but I was asking the right person that question. <laughs> <laughs> back, to the, back to the alarm system, though, I think an easier explanation is simply that it only works when he's not in, the, in there. He doesn't, it's like, you know, you said it when you leave. It doesn't, uh, he doesn't need yeah. to be notified when he's there. And Gabriel arrives when he's there, but he does need to be notified if he's not there. Oh, that's a good point. I, I would I say mean, that he probably should arm it when he's there because there's times he probably should go out the back door because of who's coming to the front door. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't think he should leave that thing unarmed, but I, I get your point and I, yeah, that makes sense. So they, the angels see Gabriel... But don't recognize him. Although I think Michael at one point says, "Do I know you?" Because she spent, you know, six thousand years longer. I mean, Earth, since before, yeah. like the Earth has been around for six thousand years, but the angel's been around for a lot longer. Right. So she spent all this eternity time. She spent eternity, like since before time was invented, yep. with this guy. She knows him, and then he shows up in a completely different body with a memory wipe, and she's like, "You're familiar." <laughs> It's like you 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 remind me of something. And you guys probably did this in in the last episode, but we did have a a moment of complimentary for John Hamm's acting, right? Oh, yeah, that, absolutely. Oh, that yeah. is Well, mostly <laughs> mostly for his butt to be perfectly honest, but his acting I think fit a, in there. That's actually not his butt, that's part of the acting. He was acting like that's his butt. It's all part of the acting. It's, it's something we do. Yes, we were very complimentary of John's ham. <laughs> so they obviously question Aziraphale about the miracle. Miracle um, Aziraphale continues to be like the world's worst liar. Which is kind of weird because we know that he's had like 6,000 years of practice. Yeah, yeah, but one every thousand years doesn't count as practice. <laughs> if I pick up a flute every thousand years for one song, yeah. I'm probably not going to be much better. <laughs> Valid. He, he thinks lying is really wrong. Mm hmm of course he's not yep. good at it. Yep. He does it because he has to, but he doesn't want to become good at it. Mm -mm. Yeah. yeah. I feel like any of his lies are as close to telling the truth as somebody could say it, and it still not quite be true. Like, he, he skirts that, I'm mm -hmm. not really lying. It's kind of, from a certain point of view. Uh, like, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I, I, I agree. Definitely... Because the, the thing that that was the thing that Siobhan and I were talking about um, was when he lied to God about the sword, um, like 
Because he said what, like... Oh, I must have put it down somewhere around here. I'd lose my head next. And my kind of thought was, well, maybe he put it down into Adam's hand, or he put it down next to Adam and said, you should take that sword. Technicalities. In which case, he's not lying, right? He gave it to Adam, but he didn't have to lie to God. He just did it in <laughs> such a, you know... Yep. He's basically... Angels make very good lawyers. <laughs> yes. Yes. Rules lawyering is definitely the way mm -hmm. that uh, Aziraphale goes. So we close the scene where he's looking at all these newspaper clippings, which yes, I think, I think are about that's what I got from him too. And uh, he starts sketching a picture of Gabriel. I'm assuming that he is going to take the sketch to the pub and say, have any of you seen this man? Because... He doesn't have a cam a phone, so he can't take a picture or something. <laughs> that tracks. I was confused because we talked previously about car stereos turning all tapes into Queen. And so I initially was like, oh, perhaps much like car stereos do this with cassette tapes, jukebox do this with 45s. I, I think I had that theory until Gabriel started singing it. Because that means Gabriel likes it yeah. and Gabriel's been around it. So either Gabriel hangs out in a pub where that happens or Gabriel caused the jukebox to do that because he likes that song and wanted it to keep playing. He, he might still have miracles, but he doesn't necessarily have control over them. So if he was in the pub. And it is also weird because up and as far as we knew from season one, the only music in heaven is the sound of music. And, you know, celestial harmonies. <laughs> And we've learned the name of the pub, right? Yes, the Resurrectionists. It's, it's what's on the, the matchbook. The matchbox. Yes. You think Gabriel was ducking out for a pint on a Saturday night, not telling anybody? Oh. That doesn't seem likely. Mr. Hoity-toity, I, I do not soil the temple of my celestial body, except for the occasional scotch. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not opposed to the theory that they're... Because the amount of people that uphold rules, but they themselves don't necessarily follow them is is a common story trope. Um, you know, the, the person who's the hardest on everybody else for following them. So for a minute after we learned the name of the pub, I was sitting there thinking, is that the same pub where he met the guy every hundred years? <laughs> and then I had to remember that was a different game in <laughs> story. <laughs> I was hoping that the, that the Shakespeare would be the same Shakespeare, but... <laughs> So interesting you bring that up because the next scene is where they go to the pub and uh, Zerfel is cornered by Mr. Brown from the local business improvement association. And um, Mr. Brown is played by the actor who played Shakespeare in season one. He also came back and did, uh, does a, a second role. Clearly a descendant. Clearly a descendant. So Mr. Brown is holding a Metro and the title on the Metro is Nebraska woman taught duck to play accordion slow news day oh, there was all the ducks from the previous episode <laughs> so Zerfel explains the whole you know now i have to make two humans fall in love because that was the only excuse i could come up with on the spot story to crowley and the conversation between the two of them is freaking hilarious you get humans wet <laughs> and make them look into each other's eyes and that's how it works <laughs> yep it's it's clearly they are experts on humanity and uh have <laughs> An untold knowledge of how we function. But is there also a reference to how Aziraphale and Crowley have fallen in love? Because they have both, they have each taken shelter under the other's wing and during a downfall. 
Oh, well spotted. Yes, I like that a lot. I like that. I like that. They were very proud of that when when that came up last night. Yes, I was very proud. And you should be. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) That completely got by me. Well caught. And then we get into the Jane Austen conversation, which is absolutely fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, think, you know, someone. She wrote books. (laughs) Apparently she was a spy and a smuggler and (laughs) involved in a jewel heist. Love the idea of Jane Austen being a a criminal. (laughs) (laughs) And then they go running back to the, uh, the bookshop. Curly sees Jane Austen's books and he's like, I will never get the hang of you lot. <laughs> this is just completely beyond the realm of possibility. This is the scene where they um, get Gabriel to remember being an angel and his eyes turn purple again. Touching whatever that core is that is still angel because he is not, he's not just turned man. I mean, based on my, the theory that I've come up with in my head. I feel like the body is human, but there is still a soul or a, a core that is angel and it can't access all the thoughts or the, the, the human brain won't take it. Yeah. The, the meat will explode. Exactly. We talked about the idea that they all have like a meat suit that they sort of check out or have checked out. Yeah, that gets that gets issued out by the quartermaster. But I don't feel like those meat suits mean that they can't access their memories. No, no, because because the the meat suit is just clothing that they put on. Yeah, and I don't think this is a meat suit. I think this is he's had to embody a human body as a. I don't know if it was a sense of of hiding from whatever is going to happen, or a sense of somebody did it to him, or like whatever's going to pan out from that. But I do feel that there was a specific thing of, you are now packaged human. Boom. Deal with it. I do kind of wonder if this is a punishment. But wouldn't you think Michael knows about the punishment? But if God decided to punish Gabriel, she's not necessarily going to tell anybody else what the plan is. Oh, but. If the punishment is coming from God, God could say, you know what, one of your jobs was to have empathy for humans, to protect humans, to care about humans. You failed at that job, so off you go, be a human for a while, find out what it's like, and maybe you'll do better. But I feel like part of the point of a punishment is the other people knowing that that is a threat, a possible outcome for them. So, I mean, there's, there's something to be said for, I don't want people helping him. I don't want anything like that. So he's going to do this. I'm not telling anybody, but oftentimes it's a deterrent as well as a punishment for the person. It's supposed to be a deterrent to other people, whether or not that's uh, a useful deterrent or is another conversation, but. But like that, that's a human perspective, right? Like, and God is ineffable. And capricious. I just keep yes. coming back to, I hate to keep bringing up dogma, and I don't know if it's because it's just impossible to make a story like this without being similar to some of the other stories like this. But in that one, God came to Earth and then lost his memory, or her memory. And in this one, it maybe that's what's happened to Gabriel. Like, he's come to Earth and something terrible has happened, has happened to him, and that has not lost his memory, but turned off his memory for a reason. Yeah. And that may well be like what the overarc that would be coming up towards with um, the apocalyptic, whatever it is, 
Because right now we don't know what the actual... I mean, the, right now the plot is Gabriel has shown up on Earth with no memory. And that's really the mystery, but our characters aren't really engaging with it. Like, Aziraphale is gradually heading down that path, and Crawley is blatantly ignoring it. I also feel it's, it's interesting, because as far as we can tell from Gabriel, there was something in the box. And then, so on the way out, that box must have gone, and then a box was found, the matchbox, that is also empty. So I'm curious if we're having like a turducken situation, like was the matchbox holding something and then the box was supposed to be holding the matchbox and then that was what he was taking to Aziraphale or is there randomly two boxes that have been discovered that were maybe supposed to have had something in them or do have something in them and we just can't see or recognize what is in them? Right. That, that's what I was th- like. What I'm thinking is, is that the, the, the thing that is it that was inside the box or is inside the box is an invisible thing or a non corporeal thing, which is why it appears to be empty. But maybe the box actually has like Gabriel's memory inside it. Where I get the punishment thing from is there heaven knows nothing about what's going on. Hell knows nothing about what's going on. So it seems to me the only two people who could have put Gabriel in this situation is either God or Gabriel himself. Um, So if it was God, it might be a punishment. If it was Gabriel who did this to himself, there's a, there's um, an episode in Dr. Who with David Tennant where he puts his consciousness inside of a watch, Pocket watch, yeah, in order to hide. And that's kind of the vibe I was getting from it. But then you start to go into, okay, well, who's threatening him? And I don't know that we can only limit it to Gabriel or uh, God, because we do know demons and devils often have their own agendas. So there could be either somebody we don't know or somebody we already do know who has some agenda. Even some angels have done some things that weren't exactly angelic part of God's plan kind of stuff. So there's a something's going on with the Job story here. Gabriel is God's favorite angel, right? Well, so. I don't know. I'm just wondering if this is another bet between God and the devil. I mean, they wouldn't be putting all this energy into Job if... That is interesting. That is interesting. I like it. I like it. And might even be specifically geared towards an angel who had not been acting so angelic. Is it choice or is it nature kind of thing? Hmm. Interesting. I like... I like this concept. I like it. <laughs> so th- the thing that uh, Gabriel says while um, he's pulling his memories up out of the angel brain um, <laughs> reminds um, Aziraphale and Crowley about the story of Job. And so that zaps us back in time to 2500 B.C., where Crowley appears to talk to Job um, and says, like, aren't you mad? Aren't you mad at God? <laughs> Not yet, huh? Okay, where are your kids? <laughs> and at this point, I completely and utterly failed to recognize 
the actor who playing who's playing Jove because the makeup uh, is so good. I didn't recognize him either. It's David Tennant's father-in-law, Peter Davison. I was going to say that's a former doctor. Uh huh. Yes, I've it been is. Looking Whoa. for him because yep. I knew he was in it, and I did not recognize him. I didn't recognize him either. If you watch the um, the extra content, like there's a you're making a video, he stand I saw you know standing up, and as soon as he opened his mouth, it's oh my god, recognizable. And then I kind of like backtracked and was like, okay, I can see how I cannot recognize him. It it's great. Um, carry on. Um, Crowley shows up. You have this really inter interesting interaction between Azurafel and Crowley where Azurafel is like, you don't have to do this. I'm sure you don't want to do this. And Crowley is much more closed off from Azurafel than we see him in later scenes, like scenes that take place later in time. He's like, yeah, I do want to do this. I'm a demon. I'm going to be horrible. You expect me to be horrible. This is what I'm, this is who I really am. And he's lying the whole time. We um we didn't touch on the um, what's wait have we this is, is this the scene, scene the are you talking about about the scene what this is this the, the scene, scene with the birds yeah. right where we okay. learn yeah sorry but that's the point where Crowley figures or sorry that Aziraphale figures out that Crowley is lying when he realizes that the birds are actually the goats in disguise the birds are bleeding. <laughs> 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 I think one of the things I like about the scene, I think it's it's a good portrayal of where their relationship is at this time. They know each other, but not super well yet. And Crowley is doing this, he's doing this thing where it's like he doesn't trust Azurafel or he's trying to keep him out of it because he doesn't know how this angel is going to react to his plans. It's tr like he's trying to put up the facade of being a good demon. Right, because he doesn't know who's watching him. Doesn't want word getting back to hell. Yeah, exactly. He's not killing people. Yeah, he's he's pretending to be a good demon. Not, you know, he wants he doesn't want them to realize that he hasn't bought into their ideology. And he and he doesn't know that Azurafel won't snitch. Yeah, yeah, but and and I you know not to jump the gun, but I feel like we get the payoff to that in this episode. Yes, Azurafel hears the bleeding, figures it out. Pretty quick that Crowley's full of shit. <laughs> mm -hmm. And he does this wonderful, you know, puts his hands on his hips and says, well. <laughs> like, he's so smug. Then we meet the kids who are monsters. Dad prays for wine and the angels just bring it because he's God's favorite. <laughs> I mean, to be fair to the kids, if you were raised with that kind of privilege, you wouldn't question it. Well, you know. It's also, for me, it's a, it's a cycle that happens very often where when somebody works really hard and they they provide so much for their children if they don't do a good job of making those children appreciate what they're getting mm -hmm. then they become spoiled and it's like it's not necessarily the intention of the parent because mm -hmm. they just want to care for their child yeah it's a weird balance and yeah it, it was it was also so i was curious how that was going to pan out because we were going to have the like azarafail like no no you need to kill these kids they need better kids <laughs> yeah yeah like that that was kind of like like the the, the like the, the first two like the the youngest one seems fine Adorable. she doesn't seem to right love her and i think that's kind of a measure that she is still too young to have realized the power that she has access to and the older two have hit that point you know um and this is also where we'll bring up the third 
uh, family member in the series because the oldest son is David's son. Ty Tennant, yes. Who is getting typecast, I'm afraid, because he was pretty much playing the exact same character as he played in, um, in House of the Dragon. And, and he seemed to be pretty much playing just a mini version of Crowley in that scene. Which it's funny that Crowley was annoyed by it. <laughs> like, well, I yeah. get to be that way. You don't get it's, to be that way. <laughs> I'm a demon. Yeah. <laughs> I can pull this off. You, how many jokes are running around the family now of like, don't do that or yeah. I'll turn you into a salamander. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's so it, it's worth reinforcing that, that that means that he is being played by Job's act. He's Job's actor's grandson. Right. So all three from members of the family. Yeah. And that was that scene. I wonder if Georgia Moffat's going to show up at some point. Wait, how did, how did a Muppet get involved? What? Georgia Moffat. <laughs> they know. Oh, okay. They, they heard quite clearly. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. I would throw something. That's what we refer to in the industry as a callback. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Do listeners know who Georgia Moffat is? Georgia Moffat being David Tennant's wife, Ty Tennant's mother, Peter Davidson's daughter. Yes. Yeah, there was a meme about that where the doctor married the doctor's daughter and they had the doctor's daughter with the because they're yeah, the convolution from that whole situation was <laughs> So you realize that Ty Tennant or you know, if any of the other kids go into acting, one of them has to end up in Doctor Who at some point. Oh yeah. Yeah. One of them has to be the doctor at some point. Or the master. That's a, Ooh. that is a, Ooh. I think master would be a more interesting one, but That'd that is a tall, like, expectation to play <laughs> that kid's feet. So Crowley turns the kids into newts because uh, two thirds of them are really annoying. But, but can I, I be, a, <laughs> can I be a blue one? <laughs> uh, you haven't pissed me off yet, but can I? <laughs> it's just so beautiful. That was that was a cute scene. He's like, "Oh yeah, sure." <laughs> They're being punished. You're being rewarded. <laughs> You're a doll. <laughs> I wonder if out of that, the if the if we didn't really see a payout of it, but I wonder if the other two learned anything and maybe became less of monsters. And the little girl was like, "Hey, that was the coolest thing ever." <laughs> One would hope that the kids got some humility out of that. They didn't, they didn't get any intelligence out of it. We have this extended period where they're hanging out in the cellar together while the demons of hell are out causing a massive stink outside. And Crowley gets Aziraphale to eat something for the very first time. Which is, so we know that Aziraphale likes to eat. Like that's very much a part of his his personality in the show and so i find it's interesting the very first time he tries it it's something that crowley gets him to do also interesting that crowley later you know earlier in the season but later in in chronology is kind of put off by food with you know xerophel's like <laughs> invites him to dinner and he doesn't do he doesn't he just drinks he doesn't eat and yet here we see him tempting xerophel with food but but that was the thing is he didn't tempt him because angels are not temptable. So therefore it is pointless to even attempt to tempt them. So therefore what he was doing was not temptation. I, love I loved that, that little yeah. Royal lawyering. Yeah. That. <laughs> I also love the fact that we know he has a sherry in the pub. So he does drink. He drinks a little something oh, yeah. at the coffee shop. So I, are we eventually going to see the scene where, as, where Crowley finally gets him to drink something? 
Well, I figure once he gets to the point where he realizes that, you know, there's tons of different kinds of food and it's all delicious. Well, you know, it's only a few steps from there to having your first glass of wine. <laughs> Going, actually, yeah, this is pretty good. And I want to point out the mirror of this scene with Gabriel drinking hot chocolate for the first time. Ah. Which those scenes are, are almost direct mirrors of each other. You know, the, the putting something in their mouth and just going, oh, 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 my God. Now it's doing something in my belly. <laughs> and that's the best. <laughs> so next we get to the scene where um, Job is talking to God in the desert. And both Crowley and Aziraphale are very taken aback by the fact that God is actually talking to him. And Aziraphale says, I don't think he's getting many answers. And Crowley goes, yeah, but to even be allowed to ask the questions. Which is a callback. Yes, when he asked questions, he got thrown into a pool of, you know, molten sulfur. <laughs> I'm sure nobody will care if I just ask some questions. How much trouble could I possibly get into for asking <laughs> questions? But Job was given that chance, so I think there's, there's probably a bit of jealousy from Crowley. Oh, definitely. You think a bit? But, I mean, that's, that's canon in the Bible, right? Yeah. Is that the reason that the um the whole fall happened i don't think there's anything about that in the bible like i no? think it's all no i'm pretty sure it's all like catholic theology i think that it actually might be dante yeah inferno yeah i feel like or paradise lost maybe i think that they were building on like those, those kind of things are building on stuff that had already been written by Pre, like theologians through the development of Christianity. Um, I'm not entirely sure where it started, but I think I think the, the, the part of the idea is that it's like you've got some stuff in Revelation about angels and, and devils, and that kind of like gets built upon to figure out how this can all fit together and who these people are. Um, it, so it's like a whole bunch of fanfic, essentially, that got built up. <laughs> To make sense of stuff that's in the Bible but not completed. This this doesn't make or or complete or not not complete not just not completed but also like these two things are incongruous. Okay, let's make a story that makes these two things make sense in both worlds. Yeah, because yeah, like because one of the things is that in the Torah, um, the the God the 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 advocate the devil who or I'm not sure what he's called in Job is not a bad guy he's just uh essentially a devil's advocate um he's a prosecutorial um lawyer um his job is his job is testing people right he's not a bad guy but like the point is job he is supposed questions. to be really good let's test how far he can go right and that was and he while doing that he's he is one of god's servants whereas in christianity because of the way that the devil shows up in the in the desert when when Jesus is in the desert as a tempter, there he becomes a bad guy, and so they have to reconcile these two, and they become the same person, but the same character. But like from a a a, a from a Jewish perspective, no, not at all. The, the guy in Job is not a is 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 just a a servant of God. It's a very different view than what we're getting in this story. Oh, yeah. It seems like there's some 
concept of angels being jealous of humans, even in Judaism. I recall a Jewish friend saying that angels were jealous of our ability to create because angels can only do what God tells them. We can like make art and music and well and again one of the things that is i believe uh similar between judaism and, and catholicism is the gift that man was given that the angels wasn't was the free will and that was the ability to choose evil because in the hopes and the love of god they would choose good and that was something that was not part of the the structure um from the creationist stories of the uh angels they but don't get free will because they break the contract. How do they break the contract if they have no free will? So the idea is that the, the, the angels have one point of free will, which is where they get to choose God or not. And some of them chose not. And that's the fall. And that's how devils are created. But then, Don't and know. then do devils have free and will? I think this, is ex this episode was kind of exploring that because it was that whole, well, you can do whatever you want. Well, and that could, well... It wouldn't surprise me if that is um, within the theological argument, because then that is like, so free will is the capacity to do evil, right? Free And so free will will result in you doing evil, which is why you've got to obey God all the time, right? Obedient servants are good. I'm uh, not a fan of that theology. <laughs> but that, but that, I guess that explains why there are um, Christians who say, well, if you don't believe in God, like, what keeps you from doing evil? And, and the atheist response is, because I don't want to do evil. <laughs> the next scene, the angels appear in front of Job and Sittis and are you get 600 cheap and everybody gives a little golf clap <laughs> i got i got so much uh publishers clearing house vibes off of this like they came knocking at the door with a giant check for sheep oh god yes Ed mcmahon shows up 600 cheap. <laughs> <laughs> and citizen joe bar obviously like where are my children <laughs> like fuck the sheep where are my kids and then we get into this like little mini play about you know um the shoeite who is a cobbler but and I, also no, not I love how he got that name because it was like i'm an old friend really who are you why don't you tell me and the magic that oh you're this person sure like that was beautifully done i loved the the to me usage it seems of that like magic. the exact same thing as the uh the doctor's psychic paper yes it's whatever you tell me you read on that paper that I'm yeah. going to become that. Yeah, yeah, person. yeah, yeah. That's 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 who I am. Whoever you you're expecting to see. I believe that the first, like his first name, is a friend of Job's listed, named in the Book of Job. So then they go through this whole pantomime of you know bringing the kids back. I assume that the ribs are like from the oxen. They're ox ribs. Yeah, they they're, they're, they're ox rib size. Yeah. And Sidis catches right on. <laughs> she's like, you cannot trust these people, but we're going to figure out a way to get your kids back. And she's like, right on top of it. She's like, just just playing along. <laughs> I, I kind of feel like... No, no, these um, are new children. <laughs> like, my, my take is that Crawley's, like, story is he's aiming to be 
as outrageous as he can, but still within the bounds that angels who know very little about humanity will believe it. But it's so outrageous that humans are going to think this guy is clearly acting. He is making shit up, but there must be a reason for it. And those really scary people are buying it. So I will go along with it. Well, the beauty because... of the usage of the ribs being that that's the only, like, he made the comment that that's the only uh, version of birth that yep. Gabriel's seen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, he's playing, he, he, he's playing the crowd really well, mm -hmm. right? And, and that makes it easy, um, or relatively easy. For her, not for to, Joe, not for the yeah, kids. Exactly. Joe's like, a little slower on the uptake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think like Job is probably still more caught up with the I've been a good guy and God has done this to me and my kids are dead and what's going on? And also like he's a pretty old man by this point, right? Like judging by all the old, you know, the the, the hair, etc, etc. Um, and he's been through a lot. Well, they still need to have four more. So this is ready to throw down like way faster than job is job is weeping and she's like i will curse god like give me back my kids but th that's when mm -hmm. crowley interjected was i thought yeah. an interesting thing i will curse god no 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 we know where that goes yeah, yeah. so <laughs> she's much more willing to like jump in and play along with yes yeah, scheme <laughs> mm -hmm. rather than play it straight where job is still catching up yep well, I mean, the suggestion that Job is really kind of dumb and really only has what he has because God's given it to him. And possibly because he, what he's got going for him is that he loves God a lot and he is really nice and really well. And he got well. treated like shit for it. <laughs> he gets tested, you know, but he gets everything back twice over. Twice as many chickens, twice as many sheep, twice as many children. You know, that'll if have to be born. If you're in a relationship born. with people who test you, that's not a good relationship. <laughs> <laughs> And also don't listen to him. Like, uh, to jump back to the conversation that Job had with with God. Um, God is basically ranting to him, right? And How dare you question me? Yes, exactly. And, you, you know, now. like, have you created anything? If you created whales, then we can talk. Come back to me when you can create a whale. Yeah. And, and Job at the end of it is very much like, uh, you know, because he gets asked what the conversation with God's like, and, and, and he's very confused by the whole thing. Does anyone else feel like the come back to me when you can create a whale was a Douglas Adams shout out? Yes. 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 <laughs> well, I would definitely 100% agree with you if it was create a whale and a bowl of petunia. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That... Actually, actually, I feel like that would have been the better punchline. You know, the, instead of there was something about whales and ostriches, it should have been like something about whales and petunias. They probably don't want to be too on the nose. Too with on that the nose, stuff. yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. That way leads to paying royalties. So they, they also tried. There was a version of the book where uh, there was a. It was a bowl of ostriches. Um, it didn't go over so well. It was not as popular. The bowl of petunias was was tested much better. <laughs> well, in what what you looked up before the show, Siobhan, it said something about uh, owls were was a name for ostriches. Or yeah. something back in the day, and we figured that was the connection to the title. Uh, Companion of owls. Companion I am a brother owls. to dragons and a companion to owls. Hmm. Or no, or was it dragons? Anyway, it is, it is a quote from Job. Interesting. And there's some connection between owls and ostriches, and we figure that is the... And dragons the, and whales. 
Yeah, yeah apparently. Nomenclature <laughs> wasn't as clear back in those yeah. days, I guess. Or maybe it's translations. Yeah, there's a few translations. So the the scene ends with Aziraphale telling his first lie. I give my word as an angel that these are new children. But as we mentioned earlier, it's that almost truth in the fact that if this did change those kids in any way, they're new children. He never says these are not the old I, children. I think he he just really misspoke and and everybody heard what they wanted to hear. He said by he said by his 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 angelicness these are newt children. <laughs> yeah, and that absolutely would work too. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Oh, we should listen to it really, really closely. Because uh, I'm sure he could drop that T. Yeah. I mean, you know, like coming from the city, the great city of Toronto. Oh, no, 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 no. Actually, he's British. He couldn't drop T. That, that's more of an American. Oh, oh shots fired. <laughs> Too soon. Too soon. Too soon. Throw. Some people are still very sensitive about that T. I think I've stunned Axel. <laughs> <laughs> That's an accomplishment. I do, I do think this was an intentional lie, though, because he is so very traumatized by it. You know, this yeah. was... Oh, and is ready to be thrown down. The lie to God was kind of shuffling around the truth, maybe. It, it almost feels like that didn't register as much as to him as a lie. This one hit. Yeah, I think, I, I think that what he said to God was... Ver, the vert was... Ed was lawyer, was pure, perfect lawyer. This, though, yeah, blatant untruth. I kind of read it as stalling, you know, and then she wandered off. Must while he have was... it here somewhere that yeah. <laughs> lose my head. So when he comes back to himself, he's in the bookshop. Carl Crowley has wandered off, <laughs> gotten bored and said, well, I'll come back when you like, stop remembering things. And he says to Gabriel, you were really awful. <laughs> You're just a terrible person. And it's almost like this is his first verbal acknowledgement of how badly he was treated by Gabriel, as well as all the horrible things that Gabriel did to the humans. I mean, it feels a little unfair. Gabriel is dumb. Michael is smart. Michael knows what's going on with those kids. Yeah. But, but she can't question Mike, Gabriel's authority, and Gabriel says Gabriel's okay. just dumb. <laughs> but he has been horrible in his dumbness, too. He's made well, decisions yes. that... I mean, he's the worst because he's mean and dumb, as opposed to being mean. As, I mean, yeah. Which now he's still dumb, but not so mean. Yeah, mm -hmm. oh, he's nice. I suddenly realized that uh, um, John Hamm is completely channeling Patrick Warburton season yes oh yeah <laughs> i can see that definite similar acting style between the like, two of them. like i, I want to see them playing brothers now <laughs> somebody flipped to crowley who's just walking down the street and he runs into nina and has this very bizarre conversation about sudden rain showers <laughs> and this is part of what i mean when i say like crowley's the worldly one he's the one who stays on top of human stuff and even he can't have a fucking normal conversation with somebody without coming across deeply weird <laughs> Well, they have very they, their interactions with humans are always very like limited. Would have been limited and um, what's the word? Uh, very you know, like job focused, right? Mm. 
I'm only going to interact with you for this one thing, and this is the bit of information I need to cover. Yep, exactly. And for Crowley, for most of that existence, that was, you know, like, temptation into sin and um, preparing for the arrival of the Antichrist. Yeah. So this is when Aziraphale accosts him at the Bentley, <laughs> explains the clue, and wants to borrow the car. Oh, real quick, because I think we... we it, it, I wanted to mention something about Aziraphale and the song. Uh, did anybody else notice the beats that Aziraphale would take to get into the song? I thought an interesting acting choice. Like, have you, have you ever heard that song that goes, every day? But he didn't do that. He'd go, have you ever heard that song that goes, every day? He, he yes. gets into the music, gets, and like find, almost like he's yep. watching a jump rope and finding the time to jump in with the lyrics. And it was a, such an interesting choice with how much he admires music as he plays the intro <laughs> the little, the little in his head before he can start singing it. And and like the, the, I mean, that's good because it's also like he's also getting the beats right. And now he has I the had... record. Mm-hmm. Well, most of the music that he listens to is classical. Yes. So it also means that like so lyrics aren't, you know, the, the normal the core of the music that he listens to. Yeah. So he when he's listening to the song, he's hearing the whole song. Uh-huh. Or at least the beginning of the lead into that verse. Mm-hmm. But it also, so it also indicates that he is aware that humans care about the, the they, they, rec- they, they recognize the lyrics, not music, right? Because he could have started with the dum-dum-dum, but he doesn't. <laughs> true. Very true. He's also only heard this song once being sung by Gabriel. So he's got to make sure he's got it right. As a person who can't sing... When I'm trying to sing something to see if somebody recognizes it, I have to kind of do that in my head. Like, okay, how would I go about singing this? So, you know. Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. I thought it a beautiful acting choice. So they have a little argument over whether or not Aziraphale is allowed to drive the Bentley. And uh, Crowley's like, you can't drive my car. And so says, oh, I can. I got my license 90 years ago. I took a driving test and everything. They didn't want me to, but I did. <laughs> I insisted on it. Our car. Just like it's our bookshop. We both get a lot of use out of it. We get drunk in it together all the time. <laughs> and I think that's kind of interesting because that's speaking to their relationship that we're not that we're not seeing in the show. Right? This is what's got what's been going on in the years since the end of uh Good Omens Part One. Crowley's got bugger all house places to go, right? Yeah. He's not working. He's, it's yeah. his car, his park, the bookshop. Yep. And it's not like he actually needs much in the way of... It's not like, the, you know, they, they actually need homes, right? Because they don't need to sleep or eat or change clothes because all of those things are handled for them. Why he's, you know, he's moved his, his plant into the back of the car because as far as he's concerned, the car is the thing he cares about. That really is his home. We get a little tiny scene of Gabriel organizing the books in alphabetical order by their first sentence. And so you have this little reading list with, you know, Jane Austen and Ian Banks. And Good Omens is in there. The last book he, he picks up and the red one that he opens up is the opening sentence to Good Omens. I know that there have been studies on this with the, like the most popular words to begin. But I feel like every story he mentions begins with an I. Like he begins with the words only in in I. (laughs) It was the day my mother exploded. My grandmother exploded. It was the best of times. It was the worst. Most of them are it. 
but they were almost <laughs> all like, I. Well, I think that was because that's the section he was indexing. But it wasn't this, like, he would be needing to index that. It is not how he would be coming across them. He's pulling books off a shelf. He doesn't know which one has an I in it yet. Maybe, maybe he does. Oh, maybe, maybe, like, oh, that's part of an angelic power. Angelic like he, intuition he, he, I, I go to this eyes. bookcase and open up all these books. I bet the vast majority of them will start with the word it. <laughs> or the. That would be the other so, one. Also, um, according to the X-ray, um, the books that are shown as a block is kind of like a suggested reading list by... Uh, Neil and the uh, and the other show producer. Um, so Jane Austen. Um, <laughs> so well, specifically like so, nineteen eighty four and the Great Gatsby. Um, Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, um, I forget. But it, if you go back and watch the show, um, there is a shot of all of them, and you can make out most of the titles. I couldn't make out all of them though, because because at least a couple, the text was a bit blurry. But I thought it was a really nice little like piece. Here's your here's your reading list before the next drop of episodes. Yep. Yep. Homework. You've yep. been assigned homework. <laughs> so in the last episode, we get the the closing scene of the Job story where Zerafel is looking out over the water. He's actually crying. He's like convinced he's going to hell. That he's irrevocably fucked up that he's going to be a demon. He's a demon now. Crowley's already said, see you in hell. I mean, I said this a lot in season one. I don't think that Crowley really knows why he fell and is mad and hurt and resentful about it and just assumes that God is capricious and will just zap people for any damn reason. Well, I mean, Crowley and says, I believe in the book it's a it's a narrative thing that says Crowley didn't so much fall as he sauntered vaguely downward and then in the first season it becomes something that David Tennant actually says I didn't fall. But I feel like he does know and he knows that it wasn't a, it wasn't a an on off switch. It was just a series of small decisions that got him there. He makes some reference to having like hanging out with the wrong crowd. Hanging out with yeah. the wrong crowd. All I did was ask questions. Yeah, I complained about the food. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, is like he doesn't appear to be genuinely evil. He seems to be a guy who wants to understand what's going on, and he was on the wrong side of God. And he, I think, like I think, he feels more like he was pushed, or or at least you know, like he's being his authentic self, and apparently that makes you a bad person. Or a bad angel. Which it does, because angels are all about, you know, like, conformity. And hopefully we're going to find more about... We're going to find out more about the fall and how this will happen in this series. Because this series does seem to be about giving us, like... the You know, like, the uh, Aziraphale and Crowley's history. Well, and this seems to be the first time that... You know, to a compliment to them on their acting is a phrase that could have been deemed... A line that could have been deemed that... Uh, Crowley now has something over Azarafel that he's that he's going to hold this secret and use it against him, and there's none of that malice to it. Mm -hmm. There's just it, it's absolutely like I'm not going to tell anybody. Which you know when you think of the the evil demon getting information on an angel, like I've now got you. You mm -hmm. you work for me now because you don't want me to tell this bit of information, and there's none of that. Beautifully done, and and I think that also speaks to like. 
So I think from Crawley's perspective, all of a sudden, he's got a, fr a potential friend. He's got somebody who's done the same thing as him. Mm -hmm. and, they, and they do mention twice that going against your entire cohort is a lonely experience. Mm -hmm. But they, that line of like, it, it must be lonely. No, it's not. And then the later, the delivery of that. Yes. I'm a demon. I lied. Like, oh. Oh, mm -hmm. so, so wonderfully placed. That's that's just a little tiny sliver of Crowley opening up a bit, admitting that he is lonely to an angel. It's the it's it's the very start of, you know, our side, as it were. I have to admit I am a little bit torn about this episode because I think on the one hand it is an absolute marvelous depiction of the beginning of their relationship with each other. It kind of goes against what we see in season one about Aziraphale's development. Because in season one, he's still very much on book with him being a full angel, even if he makes choices that maybe aren't 100% aligned with his orders. He's still very much, I am an angel and you are a demon. And this episode, I think, contradicts this a little bit. I mean, in, in the scene where Crowley first suggests the arrangement in uh, King Arthur's time. And he says, well, we could just say we were doing things, just fill out the paperwork. And so everyone goes, well, that would be lying. And he's absolutely appalled. But is that also something that he's had enough time to convince himself that he wasn't doing wrong? Has, has he had time to, you know, reinforce the idea in his head that he's a good angel? Yeah, I mean, Azurafel seems to be really good at self at denial and not knowing himself. I mean, at the very beginning of this episode, when Gabriel says, you know, sometimes you just feel like you've got to be with one person. If you're just with that person, then everything would be okay. And Azurafel, like, physically flinches back, stands up, walks backwards, and says, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. How, how would I even know such a thing? And of course, he's thinking of Crowley, and he's thinking of the fact that he only feels safe when he's with Crowley. He just denies everything about himself. He He's an angel who's really good at lying to angels. So obviously he must be good at lying to himself. Well, keep in mind, he's talking to Gabriel, his former boss. And he's got a long history of hiding his relationship with Crowley from his former boss. <laughs> so that could very well just be a reflex. Anything else about this episode that stands out? I'm looking forward to seeing Azarafail drive. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> We've seen how Crowley drives. Azarafail's going to take twice as much time as it should take to get there and back. He's going to go like 25 miles an hour. I'm kind of wondering if he's going to hire somebody to carry a red flag in front of the car for him. <laughs> how fast did cars go 90 years ago when he got his driver's license? <laughs> so I think that's a wrap for episode two. Uh, Ruark, do you want to take us out? We want to say thank you, as always, to Michael and Jen out at the Secret Watch Party Island headquarters. Thank you, Michael and Jen. Thank you, Michael uh, thank and you, Jen. Michael and Jen. Thank you. And, of course, be sure to check out all of the other wonderful Watch Party podcasts. We've got a Watch Party of Ice and Fire covering the works of George R.R. R. Martin. We've got Watch Party Lord of the Rings covering the works of J.R.R. R. Tolkien. We've got Watch Party Wheel of Time covering the Wheel of Time universe. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find us online, all of the major social medias at Game and Watch Party. You can also send us email, gameandwatchparty at gmail.com if you want to get your mail read on the air. And now, Siobhan. So our final question for the panel. If you were going to do a half a miracle, what would 
uh, your miracle be? Mine would be that food does not go bad in the refrigerator, even when the refrigerator gets turned off for a podcast. <laughs> I I would have said that, but I also was leaning because I've been dealing with it just currently. I'd like plants to actually come back from dead. Like you should be able to water it again and get it back because that's one of the harshest things is watching it turn that brown and keep turning that brown no matter how much care you're putting into it. I just want that just to, to recover. Um, cat mats just fall off with gentle brushing. My half miracle is all about dust. I live in the dustiest place hmm. in the world. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> I live right next to railroad tracks. Yes, I do. <laughs> Come to Burning Man with us. <laughs> However, we do choose to do that to ourselves. <laughs> but it's still dustier. There's no way that Toronto is dustier than Burning Man. Uh, my half miracle is actually going to be a doubling miracle, which is anytime you order a taco, you will receive two tacos. How did I not see that coming? <laughs> only on tacos? It's, it's, it's only a half a... I feel like it's too powerful. You start to go to everything. You order one car, you get two cars. Yeah, it's only a half a miracle. So, so you know, double tacos. It's because tacos get you get tacos on Tuesday. No, to, tacos are for every day. Do not enforce this Taco Tuesday. Tuesday. <laughs> the, uh, no, no, Tuesday. I like that. Uh, the actual copyright has been released. Taco Tuesday. Taco Tuesday is not no longer copyright. Who is it copyright for? It was copyrighted by uh, some... It, it, there, yeah. was a, there was a restaurant. I, we, we've digressed. I feel bad. <laughs>